You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. Hello, everybody. Good morning. So, so we move from the wilderness into the vineyards, right? We're starting a new sermon series today, so let me just give you a bit of the background for this sermon series. Um, so my family and I, whilst we uh, were on holiday in South Africa during the summer, uh, we went down to Cape Town and uh, to go and see family and friends, and we spent a bit of time in, uh, uh, in Cape Town. But whilst in Cape Town, uh, Catherine and I, we, we farmed the children out uh, to her sister. And so we, we escaped for a, for a nice romantic weekend, just, uh, just the two of us. And I want to show you where we went. Um, I'm going to show you some photos. There we go. Uh, this is where we went. Um, it is a town called French Hook. Um, who's ever been there? Okay. Actually, more than what I thought. Okay. <laughs> Right, well, there you go. So we went to a town called French Hook. Now, French Hook, as you can see by the photos, uh, is a, one of the premier wine-growing regions in South Africa. So if you want to taste some good wine and, and if, if that, that's your thing, well, then go to French Hook. And so Catherine and I spent a weekend in French Hook. And so as we were uh, in and among all these uh, uh, beautiful vineyards, um, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be lovely, as I was reminded how vineyards and vines and wine actually is a picture we come across quite often in the Bible. And I thought coming out of the wilderness, it would be good perhaps to talk about vineyards, vines, and wines. And those of you who fell asleep are now all of a sudden awake. <laughs> Did he just say wine? Is this going to be a sermon series about wine? What kind of church am I going to? <laughs> the Bible speaks a great deal. In fact, there are over 300 verses in the Bible that deals with this imagery of vineyards, vines, and wine. Over 300 verses that speak about this. Right from the Old Testament into the New, Jesus picks up this imagery and carries it into the New Testament for us. This imagery is used to help us understand our relationship with God and with one another and how we are, and it, this image helps us to prepare for how we are to live in this world. And so I thought this would be a good series for us, and I'll, and, and I'll really explain to you just now why I think this sermon series is so important and so relevant for us as the people of God here now, today, in this day and age. Why we need to be reminded about vineyards, vines, and wines. It is relevant for us today. Okay, so we are going to have a look over the next few weeks at some lessons that we can learn about vineyards, wines, and vines. So we're going to, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at, I believe, a very important message around vineyards and vines, 
Jesus spoke about it as well a great deal. I think it's important for us to note as well, before I continue, that we understand that this is imagery that, that, that everybody understood in those days of biblical times. Everybody knew it. They, they understood it, which is part of the reason why Jesus used it so often and why we find and read of it so, so, so much of it in the Bible, because they understood this. If you had a little bit of land, so in fact, calculated this, if you've got 20 meters by 20 meters, what's that, 400 square meters? Right? Good, thank you. Um, then you've got enough land, so 20 by 20, to, to produce, in, well, around 500 bottles of wine. Well, it's actually kind of half that, but what they would do is after it fermented, they would uh, dilute it, they would add water to it. And so in the end, you'd have about 500 bottles of wine. And um, that was usually uh, the right amount that would last a family for about a year. Because often this is what they used instead of drinking water, right? Uh, often the water was terrible, and so they would use this diluted wine to, uh, you know, instead of water. This is imagery that they understood. It's why Jesus used it. So if you had a little bit of land, you would plant vines. If you didn't, you would know somebody who did. You would understand the process. Now, in today's age, it's not really image that we're really familiar with anymore. And so I wanted to talk and explain a little bit about that for us today. Today we're going to, by way of introduction, we're going to jump and we're going to stay really just at the beginning of the Bible, the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 5, I want to read for us, we encounter this image of, of vines and vineyards. Verse 1, Isaiah chapter 5, let me sing for my loved one a love song for his vineyard. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Let me sing for my loved one a love song for his vineyard. So here we have the prophet composing a love song, singing a love song to his beloved. Who's his beloved? God. And his vineyard. What is the vineyard? Well, we can understand the vineyard in this way. The vineyard would be creation, this planet, the vines would be us in the vineyard. Or, as you'll see in Isaiah and in the Old Testament, it was also understood that Israel is the vineyard and the Israelites are the vines. This theme gets carried into the New Testament and it takes on a different meaning for us. We understand the vineyard to be the church and all of us to be the vines. Okay? And so, what we read, as we're going to read this verse further, you're going to see that there is something very important that I want us to highlight for ourselves today. And it's this idea of expectation. So here is the prophet singing a love song to God about his vineyard and the vines, the people. I want you first to note that there's this there's this this intimacy, there's this beautiful moment. Clearly, there is a great love that, that, that the beloved has for his vineyard. That's an important place to just mention before we carry on that God loves his creation. 
God loves the vineyard and he loves the vines. He loves each and every one of us. There's this intimacy. There's this beautiful relationship. There's this effort that we're going to read it now that God puts into the vineyards and into the vines. God's making an effort because he loves and he cares. But then we see that from God's perspective, there's an expectation. Let's continue reading. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it, cleared away its stones, planted it with excellent vines. That's you and me. Excellent vines. Built a tower inside it and dug out a wine vat in it. And here's that line. Is it on there? He expected it to grow good grapes. This was so meaningful for me because, you know, so often as New Testament believers, we, we preach about love and grace and forgiveness and God's kindness and how God enfolds us and just draws us in and that's all right and it's good and we must and it's beautiful. But sometimes we lean so heavily on that that we fail and we forget to mention that there is a certain expectation from God on us. He expects something from us. He expects from us to bear good fruit, to grow good grapes. Imagine you are the landowner. And you have land. And you put in this effort and you work hard and you plant your vines and you clear the ground and you get rid of the rocks and the whatever else you need to do. And you put in the effort and you plant these excellent vines and you come for the harvest and they are, you're going to want and expect some good grapes, aren't you? Here's why, let me explain for a minute and go off on a tangent a little bit, if you will allow me, why I think this is such a relevant and important sermon series for us to hear now, today, given our world environment and our world context. We are his vines and there is an expectation that we pursue, nurture, cultivate, desire, invite the growth of good fruit in our lives. So often, especially now, and I'm coming across this more and more and more, really surfaced again during corona, and then once we came out of corona, now with the war in Ukraine and, and the knock-on domino effect of that in terms of world economies and inflation and struggling and all the things going on in the world around us, hearing more and more about, you know, this is the end, 
the end times and what is the church saying and what is the church doing and we find ourselves as the people of God so often now occupying our thoughts and our thinking about all of this and so what are we going to do what are we going to say and 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 we should ready ourselves and 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 we get ourselves into this thing and we should all these things at the end of the day what we should busy ourselves with and concern ourselves with is the good fruit. Because when that day comes, and it will come, we don't know when or how or what, and we can study this and read and listen to this podcast, and this person can speak to me about the end and all the rest of it, and I can develop my own theories and all the rest of it, and no one knows. But when the end comes, what's going to matter? When God comes for the harvest, He's going to look at what fruit we have produced. And so if we want to talk end times, what we should be talking about is, what are your fruit looking like? And so this sermon series about vineyards and vines and wine and grapes is about this thing, who are we becoming? Who are you? It's wonderful to believe in this theology and this doctrine and this and that. Wonderful. God bless you. But what kind of a human being are you at the end of the day? What fruit characterizes your life? How has Jesus changed you? And so we want to talk end times. No, we must talk fruit. Fruit. The people that we are becoming. So that when that beautiful and glorious day comes, as the master walks through the vineyard and he sees me, little vine, he sees beautiful grapes. He says, I'll have some of that. And so the church of Jesus Christ in this day and age and all that's going on around us, and yes, there's a lot going on around us, should say, Lord, come and produce your fruit in me. And we see this message right throughout. That's why we need to talk about these things. About good fruit. I mean, if you look at the big five main acts of Scripture, the, the, the big five kind of yeah, acts. Creation, the fall, Israel, Jesus, a new creation. Those are the five key movements in Scripture. Right running through all of that is this idea that God expects of us to produce Good fruit. That's why the sermon series. In this passage, we read that God has an expectation of us. But the more I thought about it, I realized actually it's a good thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. Because actually it's what we all want. Really. 
We all want to understand who we are. We all strive towards identity and meaning and purpose and belonging. And so God expecting of us is good because we want the same thing. We all thrive and, and, and flourish best when I have a sense of who I am, why I am, where I belong, what my meaning and purpose is in life, a reason to get up in the morning and what this passage tells us, it gives us answers to those questions of meaning. It tells us, here it is, you are God's vine and you are called to produce good fruit. There it is. Sounds simple, right? Identity, belonging, mission, and meaning. You are God's vine planted to produce good fruit. Ah, and then Isaiah is so good to us. He even helps us to understand what this good fruit looks like. Shall we read it? And you will be surprised. Because the fruit that we encounter, and so by the way, as we carry on the weeks, we're going to talk about different fruit. There are lots of fruit that we are meant to produce. But the first two fruit we're going to look at today is fundamental. They are key. They sit at the heart of all the other things we're going to talk about. And it surprised me when I came across yet again these two fruit. Because we don't hear about that. We don't hear sermons about these two fruit. We don't talk about these two things because it's not, you know, it's not spiritual enough. It's not theological enough. It's not glory, hallelujah, praise God enough. And yet what just struck me is God has an expectation of you and I, and the expectation is that we bear good fruit, and then he tells us what these fruits are, and here they are. Church, we need to hear this. Okay, so the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah is really an indictment of the people of Israel. In other words, Isaiah is telling them the things that they should have done, but that they have not done. He's talking about they've not produced good fruit. And in these five chapters, as he's talking about the fruit that they're not producing, we come to understand the kind of fruits we should be producing. Then we read this. Okay. So the rest of verse 2 says, So we expected it to grow good grapes, but it grew rotten grapes. And then he explains why. And with that explanation, we understand what good fruit we are called to produce. Verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord of heavenly forces is the house of Israel. And the people of Judah are the plantings in which God delighted. God expected, here it is. God expected that you are well versed in the doctrines of the church. That's the fruit that he wants. not what the verse says. You can go to the next slide. God expected justice. What? 
justice? That's not a fruit. God expected justice, but there was bloodshed. Number two, righteousness. But there was a cry of distress. There we have the first two. And the more I looked at these, come to discover that these are themes that we encounter and run right through Scripture. You are God's vine. The expectation is that you produce good fruit. What are, Isaiah tells us, the first two of these good fruit? Justice and righteousness. Yeah, right. We don't hear podcasts about justice and righteousness. And yet, God's expectation is that we grow the fruit of justice and righteousness. And as I looked into it, my mind was blown that these ideas, and and here are the two words, mishpat, which means justice, and tzedakah, which means righteousness. If you're Jewish, forgive my pronunciation. Mishpat, justice. Tzedakah, righteousness. I come to discover, the more I looked into this, these two ideas, these two words are right throughout the Old Testament. And I came to the conclusion, if you plan on studying the Old Testament, these are two words you better learn quick. Because they're all over the place. Amos speaks about it. I mean, the book of Psalms, oh my goodness. It's just dripping with Mishpat and Tzedakah all over the place. And then I was beginning to wonder, "Mm, maybe it's a clue as to why David was a man after God's own heart. The fruit of justice and righteousness. And then I come to discover that these two terms is often very closely connected to the word love. And they often are used... uh, interchangeably, but you almost can't separate them. And the more I studied it, the more I just realized how much this means to God and how little it means to us. And just such a real sense that if the church wants to start talking end times, it should start talking justice and righteousness. Because it seems to me that's where God's heart is. And that's the fruit. When he comes again, he's going to look for in us. Justice and righteousness. Mishpat tzedakah. Okay. Amos 5, look at it. Psalm 33 verse 5 says, God loves those who lives with, surprise, surprise, Justice and righteousness. Psalm 106 says, Blessed are those who observe, guess what? Justice and righteousness. Okay. Mishpat, justice. What is it? It is really just simply the understanding that God wants His people, His church, to be concerned with and pursue the just treatment of all people. Tim Keller defines justice as the equitable treatment of all. 
God wants us, his children. So the slight distinction, if we try and separate righteousness, tzedakah and justice, mishpat would be this. Justice, mishpat would be the people deciding that we want to build infrastructure. We want to organize ourselves in such a way that people being treated fairly, people being cared for, the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, not being trampled upon. When, it's when we decide as a community, we want to put structures in place, we want to organize ourselves in such a way, we want to set laws, if you will, in place, in motion, that will work towards the just treatment of people. Righteousness, tzedakah, then becomes the right actions that flow out of this organization or this desire, this structure, this infrastructure we've put together. It's about being right, but in this context, it's about doing right as well. It's adding now right actions. It's now saying, okay, we want to be a just society. We want people to be treated fairly. Righteousness is now when you and I put action to that. When I look upon the vulnerable, the poor, the widow, and orphan, and I do something about it. Tzedakah. Right throughout the Old Testament. This message is loud and clear. People of God. What are you doing? The verse goes, you see, because this was not happening. The people of God were not concerned with justice and righteousness. And so what was happening here... Where's the verse? I want to read it. Chapter 1, verse 23. It says, Everyone loves a bribe and pursues gifts. They don't defend the orphan, and the widow's cause never reaches them. And then as you read on, go and read those verses on in chapter 1. It talks about how what we do is we just build bigger and bigger houses for ourselves. We buy more and more land, and we do not care at all what happens to our fellow human beings around us. And so there's this clear thing throughout Scripture that God says, will my, will my people notice the heartache and the brokenness and the suffering around them? And will they do something about it? Tzedakah, righteousness, then you are producing good fruit that God is looking for in us and in His church. We find it in themes like the gleaning of the land. You've come across that, right? Hey, when you do plant, don't take everything. Don't harvest everything. Leave the edges for the poor. When you plant your grapes, don't harvest them or leave some for the poor. God seems to know something about us, that the way we structure society, the way we structure ourselves is that often those, that there will be those who are vulnerable within society. And he's asking of us to notice that and to do something about that. And so he talks about the poor, the widow, the orphan. 
the cast aside the vulnerable. I when you look at the church throughout history and the moments it grew the most, the moment of great expansion for the church, the moment of great revival. Think of the old with the Welsh revival, great English revival, birth of Methodism. Think about uh, even way back Rome, whenever there was a, a big uh, a pandemic or whatever. But the moments that church saw that church was thriving and growing the most was when the people of God pursued the fruits of justice and righteousness, busied themselves with acts of kindness and caring for the poor and the vulnerable and the weak. When everybody else was running for the hills, the church stayed behind and cared. In this day and age, we should be asking as a people all the time, as we look and we see the news, we look what's going on in Ukraine, all around the world, in Africa, Asia, wherever it might be, we should be asking the question, what is justice and righteousness, what would justice and righteousness look like in that situation? And how can we pursue that and establish that in that situation? I'm introducing something that we're going to talk a lot more about next year. The kind of people we want to become, the kind of grapes we want to produce. I want us to talk a lot more about justice and righteousness about how we care for one another, about the fact that when we see injustice that our hearts are broken, and we want to do something about it. When we see people struggling and suffering, our hearts are broken, and we want to do something about it. That's the expectation God has from us. I want to show you a photo that we did as a church community. Last week, we, um, we bought that. Do you, do you know what that is? That's a generator. That's a, a, 50, uh, a 40 hour uh, generator that, that we bought as a church for our friends in Ukraine. You see, here's the thing, talking about producing good fruit. So we see that there is strategic plans to destroy power grid infrastructure, right? You've seen the news. At a time when we're going into winter, millions and millions of men, women, and children without any means of heating their homes or have any electricity, we should ask what would justice and righteousness look like in that situation? God, we want to produce good fruit of justice and righteousness. So what can we do? And so you decided as a church, God, we want to pursue the good fruit of justice and righteousness, the just treatment of all. Performing acts of righteousness by caring for those who cannot care for themselves. And so we bought a generator for them, for a whole church community, so they can generate their own electricity. This week, with our last money, <laughs> we bought another one. 
We bought another one for another church community that, so that people can generate electricity and warm their places. When I started preparing the sermon series, I was fully prepared to start talking about very different kinds of fruit. You know, more churchy fruit. You know, more kind of glory, hallelujah fruit. You know, that we all leave here feeling, yes, okay, I, that, was, that, that was spiritual and good and, you know, worthy of an altar call kind of fruit. You know? As I started, I, I just realized what God cares about. He cares about His vineyard and His vines. He cares about His creation. His heart's broken to see the suffering and heartache that goes on around us. And He's asking us, will your heart be broken too? Will you care too? Will you act justly towards one another? Especially those for whom justice seems to often, you know, not be a real thing in their lives. The poor, the widow, the orphan. Will you be such a community? Today, we are doing something else. Today. If you look to your left, you will see by the door those two white boxes. Those are an intentional, so those are, so the idea of tzedakah, righteousness, became synonymous with giving to the poor, giving and helping those acts of kindness and mercy that can't help themselves. And so it developed in such a way that all the synagogues in that time had what they called tzedakah boxes. It was where God's people sought to pursue the fruit of justice and righteousness, caring for one another, acts of mercy and compassion and kindness, and they could give. So Tzedekah became synonymous with giving to the poor. So they could put in those boxes, those Tzedekah boxes, offerings to help those who are suffering. We are starting today again something we did years ago and have not done for years. As I begin to prepare us for what we're going to be talking about next year, Vision Sunday, this idea of being a just community, a community of people that strives for justice and righteousness. Those are our tzedakah boxes, our care fund boxes. What we want to do every Sunday when we have communion We want to take up an offering from within the community, and that is reserved and will only be used to care for one another. I want to say to you that if you know some of the stories that I know, some of the situations that I'm aware of in our very church, God, may, I don't want you to come and look at me and see rotten grapes. And I have this idea about what good grapes are, but it seems your idea of good grapes is a bit different. 
It's about how I care for my brother and my sister and the suffering and pain that I see around me. When we take up, when we take communion, we're going to take up our care fund offering. So the idea is, is that when you leave, you, when you pass that box, there's like a code. So you can physically give if you want, but there's a code as well. So you can scan, and that is reserved and set aside only to care for one another. There are people in our community that needs our help. I have been praying all week. Longer than that, actually. That we be a community of justice and righteousness. That what breaks God's heart will break our hearts. See, but instead of justice and righteousness, we, we come across things like, have you ever come across the term hostile architecture? Have you come across that term? Anybody heard that term? Hostile architecture? And the archetypal uh, example of hostile architecture is something called the Camden Bench. Anybody heard of the Camden Bench? Oh, you should read more. <laughs> the city council in one borough in London commissioned an architect to build a bench that's so uncomfortable that poor people would not want to go there and sit on it. This was 2012. And what's happened subsequent to that, we have seen this trend of what is known as hostile architecture. Inner cities designing and building architecture designed to push the poor away. Benches that you can't sleep on or can't lie on because we don't want you here. And so what society does is, is we, we fight not poverty but the poor in how we design our furniture to keep you away. And so all week, the, reading these articles, the more and more I read it, the more I just want to burst into tears. God, what do we... Help me fill us with love for one another, justice and righteousness. We're going to talk tons more about it. You can... Read the entire Bible from the perspective of justice and righteousness. Maybe I must preach that way next year. The book of Genesis, Exodus, you can read from the perspective of justice and righteousness. That will blow your mind. Lord Jesus, as we gather around your table, as we remember your life, your teaching, I ask that you, that you be with us. That as we look to your example, how you gave your life for us, that we may follow that example and give our lives for the sake of others. And that you will grow in us the fruit of justice and righteousness. To care, to be compassionate, to want to help birth that within us grow it within us a compassion 
a love, a desire for justice and righteousness. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time. Thank you for listening and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.